After 39 long years, the Cup is back home. The Bruins are 2011 Stanley Cup champions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bruins Beat. We had a lot to talk about last week, and we have an even a more jam-packed show this week. But first off, I want to start the show a little differently today, because we just had Veterans Day this past week, and with the Paris attacks last night, there was a huge terrorist attack in Paris. I want to take a quick 15-second moment of silence to honor all the veterans and honor all of those lives that are lost over in Paris. And yes, that's our moment of silence for that. We thank all the veterans that protect us and help us around the world that allow us to be able to do this great Bruins Beat podcast. And I also want to say all my thoughts and prayers with everyone that was affected in Paris. That was a senseless attack, and I hope everyone can remain safe over there, and everyone's in my thoughts and prayers. And if you have anything to follow up on that, Jason, by all means, the floor is yours. You know what, I just want to say thank you to the veterans, past, present, and future, for what they're going to do for our country and what they have done for our country. To the people out in Paris, my thoughts and prayers go out to you and all of your loved ones, and we hope you guys all remain safe. Absolutely, but, so yes, terrible news out there, but let's get to some Bruins news. This was a, a jam-packed week, was it not, Jason? Oh no, it's, it was a jam-packed week. Not a good week, but a jam-packed week. Absolutely, there was a ton, a ton of news to get to between the Bruins the Bruins games they played this week, that around the NHL segment that we get to, obviously, and then I look ahead to next week. This should be a great week. So first off, I want to start with, we've talked about this the past few weeks now, about how David Pashnik wasn't skating, he didn't travel with the team, he got injured, Claude Julian said that they were just giving him a little extra time, and now we've come to find out that it is a broken bone in his foot. So Pashnik is out indefinitely, there's no timetable for his return, and I think that this is a tough break for the Bruins. You know what? I was thinking of watching the uh, Colorado Avalanche game the other day. Um, how would the Bruins be playing if he was in the lineup? Because he's definitely a difference maker. Absolutely. Also, and when I think about it, you no, know, it, it's I tried to do some research on it. I really couldn't find much. But if he can take his time and heal, I still think he'll be back in time to play a really good season. Yeah, he'll definitely. It is a tough break, though. Yeah, he'll definitely be back, probably sooner, hopefully sooner rather than later. But I thought it was a tough blow. I thought Pasternak was really fine in his stride this year with playing with Krejci. They've developed great chemistry. Obviously, Pasternak's one of the go-to guys the Bruins look to for offense. And obviously, the Bruins have juggled their lines a little bit without Pasternak. And I just think that this is a tough break for him. I thought he was coming into the year playing well. And I don't know. I just I feel bad for him because this was, a, this was supposed to be the breakout year for him. He had his rookie year last year. He comes into this year. He, he's got puts on the first, He gets put on the first line. Hoping to have a breakout performance this year, and then boom. First two weeks into the three weeks into the season, he's out with a broken foot. And due to a block shot of all things. I know. That's, that's crazy to me. But, I, I mean, Pasternak, obviously, hopefully he can heal soon. He still hasn't even skated with the team. No, he didn't travel like, like we talked about last week on their road trip. And I think this could be a lot more serious than originally thought. 
Exactly. I mean, I don't see him coming back for another two or three weeks. And, you know, it's rough. But then again, you know, it give, it gives opportunities for the younger players coming in, which we, we will uh, get into a special young player who was just named to the lineup this week. And, you know, even with him out, I still think that the Bruins have a chance. Yeah, they definitely if have they a can chance. Turn around. Absolutely. They definitely still have a chance. Just... Just a tough break when you lose one of your most skilled forwards who's supposed to be the difference maker in your lineup. And obviously, he's one player that you, you can afford to lose right now because he's still young. He's still adjusting to the NHL. And I get it. The Bruins aren't going to go from a top team in the NHL to a bottom team in the NHL by losing past Nick for a month or two. I feel like the Chara, Chara not starting the year with the team was obviously more significant with Pat, than past Nick being here. I just think it's a tough break. No pun intended there. And you just want him to be in the lineup. You want him to mature and grow. And you do. You know what? He's gonna. He's definitely going to take this for a learning experience. He's going to come back, and he's going to probably come back and play a lot harder when he does come back. You know, he really did. He started off to a strong start this season, and when he blocked that shot against Arizona, the games after that, you could tell he wasn't right. So when he comes back, he's going to be right. And, you know, the Bruins might not be where we want them to be this year, but... The Bruins are playing as I predicted anyway, so what can what can you do? Yeah, nothing you can do right now, but I also think from watching in the press box and, the, and up top and the 10th floor, you see your eyes open up, open up more and you can see more of the ice and you, you just catch on to things that you haven't caught on to before, so maybe that will help out Pasnik when he returns. And speaking of returns, Dennis Steinberg returned to the lineup this week, and I think that's a good sign for Bruins defenseman. Joe Morrow was the healthy scratch, which I think is great because I think Colin Miller has been playing unbelievable this year. I think Colin Miller should have stayed in the lineup. I was worried that they were going to bench him and play Morrow. But I'm glad that Morrow's benched, and I shouldn't say I'm glad that he's benched. I just think that Colin Miller has played well. And Seidenberg's obviously a big defensive add addition to the team. And I think that this will help the Bruins' defense only get better. And granted, he only played one game so far, so I know it's going to take him some time to get back to the game speed. He had a major back surgery, so... It's going to take some time, but I think this is great in the long run for the Bruins. And you know what? Two weeks early, too. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. You know, it's good to see Seidenberg back. He's going to solidify this defense, but he's going to teach young players. And, you know, like you said, Colin Miller earned a spot. I could not see the Bruins taking him out. Not with his shot, not with the way he's played. Yes, he's going to have his growing pains, but he's earned his spot in that defense. Yeah, I think Colin Miller absolutely has, too. He's been skating with Chara here and there and Krug here and there. I just like the way he plays the game. He plays hard. Like you said, there's going to be growing pains. He's a 22-year-old defenseman. His first year in the NHL. Obviously, everything's not going to be perfect, but this is the type of player you want to develop. He was the main the main person that you got in the trade from Milan Lucci. You don't want him to be buried in Providence. You want him to, to grow and mature. You have Seidenberg. You have Chara. You have McQuaid. You have three, three veteran defensemen that are in the lineup. You have Tori Krug, who has been in the league now for quite some time. You have defenseman there that can teach him how to play the game the right way. And I agree, you know, and that's what's important is that we have the young defenseman that Seidenberg can teach. I lost track of what I was going to say, but it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, plays out on that defense. But also, there's an argument out there, you know, many people say that Claude Julien can't handle his younger players. You know, for the examples of players like Sagan or Hamilton or Kessel, but yeah, then you had these other younger players that came in, like Milan Lucic at one point, David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron, all of all who have played and stayed solid on this Bruins team, which makes it very interesting how people can do it, 
can develop that argument. Yeah, we'll get into that argument a different day. We don't want to jump ahead to that argument because we have a jam-packed show with a bunch of stuff to get to. But that is a good point, Jason. We'll try and get into that maybe in a future in a future episode, maybe when it's the uh, All-Star break episode, we can break down something like that. But um, I want to get to that Frank Vitrano was called up for Alexander Kokolchev. Kokolchev, was, we talked about last week, was called up. He was plugged right into the line with Krejci and... Erickson because Pashnik was out and they didn't like what they saw from Kokolchev, so they called up Vetrano, and I think Vetrano's made a major impact so far. All you have to do is look at a shot against the Montreal Canadiens, that first goal he scored, and the confidence that he's playing with. And then you watch the Islanders game, and you watch where he is on the ice, how he's playing on the ice, the confidence he's playing with, the shots he's taking. Vetrano is not scared to play. He's, uh, he's a three-zone player. He's exactly what Claude Julian's looking for. And you saw it even in the Colorado game as well that Petrano is a good pickup and he's going to develop, he's going to grow, and he's going to be a Bergeron like player. Yeah, I think Bergeron type player is a little too far, but obviously, and when he's too young, but but Petrano is a great, he's he's a good player. You can tell. I saw him in camp and I said, wow, this this kid can play. He has a great shot, like you just said. He's playing with confidence right now. He's playing. All three zones, like you said, he's playing with Krejci, which obviously helps. Playing with Krejci and Erickson, you can kind of hide his deficiencies if he has any. If he makes a mistake there, you have Krejci and Erickson to back him up. But I just think the impact he made since being called up compared to Kokolchev, I feel like Kokolchev was not the right player to play with Krejci and Erickson. I feel like Petrano has come up, he stepped right in, and it's not been that much of a drop-off. No, I mean, you know, Koko played, for better words, solid didn't really make a name for himself or make himself noticeable. Um, and Vachano came in right away, and he made himself noticeable, and he was noticeable in Providence, and that's why he's here now. And that's why he's here to stay, because Julian was giving him power play time. He was earning his time on the ice. And this is what you want to see from your young players. You want those young players that are going to come in, they're going to keep their mouth shut, and they're going to make an impact while saying nothing. Yeah, I agree on that point. And I also like how... When the Bruins sent him down to Providence, he didn't sulk, he didn't complain, he wasn't crying about it. He went into Providence, went about his business, led the league in goals, and now look where he is right now. He's on the Bruins' first line. And he's probably not going back. Uh, yes, good. Yeah, hopefully he does not go back. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Vachano when Pashnik comes back, because obviously he is playing in Pashnik's spot on the first line right wing. So it'll be interesting to see whether they send someone else down or if they send Vachano down just to get more playing time. So, I mean, I, granted, I I think he's played well, and I think he has earned his spot. I don't think he should be sent down, but when, you never know what's going to happen in the long run. So I think that's no, you, that's a th- you th- don't good know. thing to keep good thing to keep your eye on, though. You don't know, but if you look at the fact that they sent Talbot down, you know, to try to make room for him, you know, the one thing you can understand is if, if he's really playing well to earn a spot, the Bruins management, if they really like him. We'll make them. We'll make the moves, whether it be by trade or something, to keep Vitrano in that lineup. Yeah, it's just, just something to keep your eye on there about Vitrano. And you guys, you just said Talbot was sent back down, and they they called up Talbot after Chris Kelly got hurt. They probably just wanted a veteran guy in there for a little bit. But but the way Tyler Randell is playing, and I think Campine is playing good in the fourth line center, and you have Ronaldo, who we talked about last week. And granted, I went off on him and said I don't know why he's on this team. He hasn't played bad. He's been fine on the fourth line. He's doing what you ask him to do on a fourth line guy. 
So the Bruins don't. I was actually just thinking about that yesterday. You know, you went off on what was it, our very first episode. It was yeah, it was um, very early. It was very early, and you know he's kept himself quiet, which is very impressive. He's made the right moves. He's making good hits. He's making a quieter impact, and he's still sticking up for his teammates for the most part. Although Tyler Randall's been very, very impressive when it comes to that piece of it. Yes, yeah, so um, I like Tyler Randall a lot. Me too. I like the way he's playing, and I like the toughness he gives, and I think that he's going to be a mainstay on that fourth line. I do as well. But, yeah, so um, yeah, Talbot down, Coco down, and also when Coco Chev got sent down, Sweeney came out just a couple of days ago and said that Coco Chev injured his hand, he will need surgery, and he'll be out four to six weeks. Not good news for Coco Chev. You get called up to play in the, the big Bruins club, you don't do well, you get sent back down, and then boom, injury, surgery, you're out for a, a month or two. And you know what, I think that's really a telling sign, but I also think that, you know, his time is done in Boston. Coco is not a player that you want to keep here. He's not tough, he doesn't play with toughness. You know, he's a talker, but he's not built for the NHL, and I might keep to my point from last week about that. Yeah, I don't think he's built for the NHL either. I think he's just an AHL player. His time in Boston is definitely done. It's time to get rid of him, even if you can get some, get something in return. I know you're not going to get much for him because his stock and value is probably down. But he just opened his mouth earlier in the year stating how he doesn't want to be in Providence forever. He can't be an AHL player forever. You got your chance to get called up. You had your chance to, like a few years ago to a few couple in the past few years that you gotten called up and you haven't made a name for yourself to stake. Spooner got called up last year, and now look at him. He, he's playing in the lineup every day now. Because he got his opportunity and he ran with it. Coco, you had your chance. I think his time in Boston's done. The injuries only just pretty much solidifies that I think his time in Boston is done. Ship him out of town. I don't want to hear about Coco Chev anymore. He opened his mouth. Now he's hurt. Get rid of him. I agree. You know what? Take it. Take advantage. If you have a team that's interested in him, trade him. You know, you have a couple of young players on this team that you can really just trade and try to get assets for. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why it would hurt to try and call around and see if what the interest is in Kogolchev and if you can get something. I know it's not going to be something significant, but get something that you can to help your team in the, in the future. I'd be okay with a fourth-round draft pick or lower at this point. Anything just to get him off the roster. Wow, fourth round, huh? I'd, I'd even go lower just to get him off the roster, just like because he's a waste of space for this team anyway. Yeah, I'd probably try and aim a little bit higher and try and maybe a third-round pick because – Kukulchev does have talent. Obviously, he was the leading point scorer in the AHL before his injury, before he got called up. So he has talent. So maybe someone goes, oh, maybe he's just not right in the Bruins system. He'll come to our system and he'll do better. So maybe you try and shoot for a third-round pick and go from there, see what happens. But speaking of draft picks, uh, just announced the other day was the Bruins have signed their first-round pick, Jake DeBrusque, their first-round pick, Zach Sedition, and their second-round pick, defenseman Jeremy Lawson to entry-level contracts. And I think this is a significant news for the Bruins because these were three players, obviously besides Zaboral, because Zaboral already signed. They were the three players that, that everyone looked to and said, hey, this is, this is hopefully our future. And they both have started off playing, all three of them, I should say, not both, all three have been playing great down in the junior leagues that they're in. DeBrusque actually just got hurt, even though he's out for a little bit. He was... Putting up points while he was there, 
Submission, obviously, he scored a ton of goals so far down there. He had a highlight real goal the other, the other day or last week or so that was incredible, and you can see the seal on him. And I think Jeremy Lawson, a lot of people didn't really know about him, and but uh, Kirk Ludicky, who is on Twitter, he's a, he's all about the Bruins scouting and New England area scouting. He said that Jeremy Lawson would be the steal of the second round. He's a he said that he was a mix of Brandon Carlo and Enza Boyle, and as you can see there, he's about to crush his point totals from last year. He has about like over twenty points in like eighteen games as a defenseman. I think Laws is the player that will to keep out for. Yeah, the last uh, I checked, he was at twenty five points, three goals, twenty two assists. And um, to add on to that, right now the Bruins have signed five of their first top six picks from this year's draft. Yeah, it's good. Uh, the only the only pick that hasn't been drafted yet is Jacob Forsbacher Carlson, and you know, looking at his stats, he's not far behind from getting signed. Yeah, he's doing well at BU. He's a He's a freshman there. But, yeah, it's good to know that the Bruins are targeting these players. They're signing them and saying, hey, we want you as part of the team. We want you as part of the future. Now, now that you have your contract underneath your belt, let's go. Let's see what you can do. You have your security blanket. You have your contract. Now keep, go, now keep going out there, playing and producing, and you should be in Boston hopefully soon. I agree. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how many years it takes these players to develop. But I think that the Bruins are heading for a transition period, and these young players are going to play their role in a couple of years. Absolutely, I think so too. So it's good to see that Sweeney has signed DeBrusque, Sanushin, and Lawson two entry level contracts, along with already before they signed Brandon Carlo and Zaboral, the defenseman there that they signed. They drafted in the first round. So the Bruins' young players are being signed now. So. Uh, I think it's time for them to uh, grow, mature. Let's go. We want you guys in the Bruins system sooner rather than later. This team could use some uh, some new blood. Exactly. You know what? Um, I think right now we're just playing with a game of patience. Yes, um, Especially definitely. the way the Bruins have played lately. Um, you know, people are calling these two-goal leads and these leads are losing mental lapses. And I think that there's more of that. And we'll, break, we'll get into that when we break down the uh, games from last week. Yes, and we will break down the games from last week right now. The first game that we talked about was Bruins-Montreal. And last week when we talked, Jason, I predicted the Bruins' victory against Montreal. Obviously, I was wrong. <laughs> and because You I, were close. I you was were, close. You were much closer than my prediction because I said they were going to get crushed, especially if Rask was in the lineup. The one good move they made, and we'll get into this for sure, was putting Jonas Gustafsson in the net and letting Rask set. Yeah. And that tells you a lot about Rask. And that tells you why Rask needs to go. I was, specifically. So, I was so mad when I found out that Tuka Rask was not in the net. I was furious. I was fuming. I could not believe Tuka Rask was not playing. They, have, they put in Gustafsson to play against Montreal, your hated rival in Montreal. Hey, Tuka Rask, you're the number one goalie, pal. You should be pissed you aren't playing against Montreal. You had a, a terrible game the game before. And you don't want to call up the Claude Julian and say, no, I want this game in Montreal. Proof and shut up the people in the media. Like, what are you doing to Karask? You're the number one goalie for a reason. You make eight, you make seven to eight million dollars because you're supposed to be a number one goalie. Your record is three and 14 against Montreal. Obviously, you aren't getting it done. Montreal is in your head. And obviously, and then, oh, you get interviewed about it and you say, yeah, I don't mind Gustafson playing. You're a joke, Tuka. You should have been out there. You should have been like, no, I want this game. I want to play. Give me this game. And shut up, everyone. Prove everyone wrong. Like, why? I don't. Like, you're the number one goalie, and you sit down against your rival. You didn't have a game the night before, so it wasn't like you're tired. You had rest. 
You should have demanded to play that game. Demanded to play it. And you sat on the bench and watched your team compete against your rival because you know what? You don't care. You don't. You have no care in the world because you were just like, yep, I don't care that Gustafson played. If you're a competitor, like, where is your rage? You should be like, no, I wanted to be out there, but, but Claude Julian made me sit down. Say something like that. Even, like, please, don't just say, yeah, I didn't mind him playing. Oh, my God, I was so furious with Tuka Rask. The Bruins are paying him $8 million to sit against Montreal. $8 million. It's pathetic. You can get far more with the assets you have using $8 million than what Rask is giving you. And for those of you sitting here defending Rask, shut up. They're paying him $8 million to sit against Montreal. Keep that in the back of your heads every single time Boston plays Montreal in the future. And I usually am one of those people that stick up for Tuka Rask. I usually try not to blame the goaltender because there are other facets of the game that are not all on the goaltender. But come on, Tuka. This is undefended. It doesn't matter. You do not sit there and say, I am okay with Gustafson playing. No. It's your team. Stick up for your team. Play. Play hard. Even if you lose, go out and defeat and play hard. Right. That's what we're paying you $8 million for, to be a leader. So far this season, I haven't seen leadership. I've seen Gustafson have a team that plays better when he's in net than Rask plays in net. So what are you paying Rask $8 million for? Yeah. For Jack Squat? Exactly. I don't know I don't know what you're paying him for. If Gustafson's going to play all the, the games against your, against Montreal, because, of, of course, you said I don't, I don't mind that Gustafson played, like, where's your competitiveness? Like, what is wrong with you? I would be, I would be, if it was me, and he, and, and Claude Julian came up to me and was like, hey, we're going to start Gus tonight. I'd be like, no, I want to start. We're playing Montreal in Montreal. I don't have good numbers against Montreal. I want to prove that I can steal a game here. Like, that's what who, you're supposed to do. Who won the Cup for Boston in 2011, Tuca? Who won the Cup for Boston? It wasn't you. It was Tim Thomas. It was Tim Thomas that came out in there and said, I want to play. I want to earn my spot. That's why the Bruins won the Cup. It was Tim Thomas. It was goaltending. You are not getting paid $8 million to sit back there and say, it's okay to lose to Montreal. And that is why you need to go. And that's a difference. Tim Thomas was a competitor. You think Tim Thomas would have went up to Montreal and said, yeah, Claude, that's okay. I don't feel like playing today. You can play the backup. Hell no. Oh, Tuka Rask. I was, I, this was indefendable from Tuka Rask. I could not defend Tuka Rask anymore by this. I was so mad. You've got to demand to play that game. You're the number one goalie for a reason. And I know we keep talking in circles here, but I'm just so furious at Tuka Rask right now. So furious. Okay. And he put. Guess why I say to Bruins management, do you guys want to win a cup or just be a perennial contender every single year? If you want to win a cup, get a goaltender that wants to win. Get a goaltender that wants to play. That wants to win and win hard. That wants to play. They'll play against your rival. He didn't even want to play. He didn't care. Yeah, I don't mind Gustafson's playing. Are you kidding me? It's embarrassing. It's, it's wrong. You, you, you're the leading goaltender on your team. You play. And you play hard. It doesn't matter if you're awful. You keep playing and you keep trying to get over that hump. I would have, I would have, his, numbers are, his numbers are indefensible. What are his numbers, Mike? They're 3 and 14. 3 and 14. He's given up, what, 54 goals? His save percentage is a 906, and he's given up 2.74 goals a game every game that he's played against him. It's like three, his numbers three are goals pathetic. A game. Three goals a game against Montreal. Oh, man, too good. I, I, I just. I miss. I can't believe he didn't play. I couldn't believe it. But you know what? I'm glad he didn't because Gustafson played better anyway. You know what, though? Granted, Gustafson, Gustafson played really well. He did play well. But just the last... The defense quit on him in the end. The Bruins found a way to lose that game. I am not going to blame Gustafson for that loss. No. Gustafson played hard. He they, he kept this team in that game. That's why the Bruins held the lead for so long. Right. Yes, Mont yes Montreal came in with a surge. They were supposed to. Montreal is a better team. But Gustafson kept us in the game. Yeah, Gustafson did play well. 
And the last thing about Tuka I want to say is, I would rather have Tuka Rask demanded to play that game with Claude Julian and let up five goals and the Bruins lost five to one than have Tuka Rask come out and say he didn't mind Gustafson playing. I just think that's embarrassing. I agree. Because that shows leadership. It shows that you want to play. And um, it's pathetic, and it really changes my opinion of Tuka as Boston's goaltender. And I think Boston really needs to start thinking about what they want to do. And again, it's another contract that is Chirelli's fault because you should not be paying a goaltender $8 million to play. Because you have other goaltenders out there that can probably play better, which Gustafson's showing. Yeah, $8 million is a lot. But uh, there's our Tuka Rask rant right there. Obviously, we got a little heated there because we're fed up with Tuka Rask. But let's have a little breakdown of the game. As, you, we, as we stated earlier, it's a Toronto's first game. We got called up, and what a what a first game to be called up to, playing against the the heated rival rivalry Bruins Canadians. No, um, Vachano played awesome, you know, and that goal that he scored, you know, with the screen on the net, getting on the side where Condon could not catch it. Goal scores goal. What a shot! Goal scores goal. What a goal. shot! It was a goal scorer's goal, and he showed why he was meant to play on this team right there. Yeah, and no. all the raves of him coming up was he has a great shot. He can put the puck in the net, and he just played that right there on that play. But he, it wasn't just the goal that he scored, though. He played up and down the ice. You know, whenever he was on the ice, you were hearing Jack Edwards say, Vetrano this or Vetrano that. Something had to do with Vetrano. You were hearing his name being called. You are. He's been. Out, he's making an impact, which is good to see. So no, it's great to see. Very happy and about then, that. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to get into this forever, the Bruins' freaking power play. Their power play has been unbelievable. That first line, just, it's unbelievable. It's craziness. It, it really is. I can't believe how well this power play, they, they score a power play goal game, do they not? Every, oh, they've been doing every game, every yes. time you watch the, Every time you watch the Bruins game, they have power play goal here, power play goal there. It's like, holy smokes, they're scoring power play goals at an unbelievable rate. And the biggest thing you're noticing, five on four, five on three, you name it. They're moving the puck and they're passing and they're moving the puck around fast and they're doing it fast. They're not just sitting there and waiting for a player to develop. They're making those plays develop. Yeah, they it's are. It's the biggest change I've seen this year compared to the past three years. Yeah, I think so too. It's a good it's a good point there, Jason. They're moving the puck well. And I also think it helps when you have Spooner, Krejci, Krug. They can all pass the puck. They all know what to do with the puck. Bergeron obviously is great in, this, in the slot there. And you know what they did? They, they loaded up on one power play unit. They have all their best offensive players on one power play unit and said, you know what, guys? Here you go. Go out there and try and score a goal. That's a big adjustment that Claude Julien made, and I think it's the best adjustment that Claude Julien has made because all the best offensive players are out there on the power play. He keeps them out there for a minute and a half, to two, even sometimes for the whole power play. You know what? Go score a goal. That's what you need to call Julien. You need power play goals. You need to win the game. Before he had, he spent no emphasis on the power play. He would have like Bergeron on one unit. Krejci on the other. He had Krug on one unit, and he had Dougie Hamilton on the other. That was when we obviously we had Dougie Hamilton on the team. Finally, he has loaded up on the power play and said, go score power play goals. Good job, Claude Julian, because the power play has been killing it. I heard Jack Edwards or someone say this earlier last week, that last year the plan was to put Krejci and uh, Krug on the point with Bergeron on the same line. The difference was last year Krejci was injured, so it made it hard to do. But look at the difference now. Putting Krejci on the point. Yeah, Krejci's been... Like it, was, it was almost as if this should have happened last year, but due to the injury, it would step back a year. Yeah, Krejci's been, Krejci's been dominant on the point, on the power play. Him and Krug are the lights out. So I really like that. But obviously, yeah, speaking of Krejci, Krejci did kind of cost the Bruins the game, though. Come on, Krejci. You can't be taking a cross-checking penalty with two minutes left on a tie game up in Montreal. And even if you think Buchanan Dove... 
and sometimes, obviously, Buchanan does die. You can't be taking that penalty. You can't be making that hit with two minutes left in Montreal. You know where you are. You know what you're playing against. You're an assistant captain. You're one of the leaders on this team. You cannot take that penalty. That cannot happen. That was... That, that that play, you know, I actually forgot about that game, that play uh, after watching the Colorado Avalanche game. We'll get into that after. Um, but in that game, when your team is playing so hard and so well, you do not lose your composure if you know that you're going to have a chance of going into overtime to play this team three on three. Yeah, and you get a you point. You keep your you composure. And you know what? Krejci didn't. And what did Krejci do? Krejci cost us the game in the end. And you know what? I knew the moment that the Bruins were on the penalty kill that this game was over. Yeah, because um, the penalty kill sucks. The penalty kill sucks, and, you know, all Montreal's got to do is get down to the front line, you know, get into there, and, and then pull, pull Condon, and then he got a six-on-four, and, well, at that point, you're screwed. Well, they didn't, you're putting Gustafson at your mercy. Well, they didn't pull Condon because it was a tie game there, so it was still five-on-four. But, uh, but, but the uh, mindset, they did not pull Condon, but the mindset that that's the possibility that, the possibility that they could have. Yeah, I don't think they would have. Get that six on four or keep the offense in the zone and just to end that game in, in that third. They ended it anyway. Yeah, I don't but think the they would have pulled it. The good house says it says it all. Yeah, I don't think they would have pulled that goalie in a tie game, though. Only if they were down a goal, they probably would have tied them. I mean, they probably would have pulled them to tie the game. But, yeah, all they had to do, Montreal is a good power play. The Bruins, Bruins fans and Bruins media and everyone that talks about the Bruins knows that Montreal's power play is there. They're bread and butter. That's how they score a lot of their goals on the power play. We put them on the power play, they execute. And you can't do that with two minutes left in the game. Right when Krejci took that penalty, they go, they're going to score here because that's what Montreal does. Montreal scores power play goals. And what do you know that they scored a power play goal? And that was the best the Bruins have played Montreal in so long. And for Krejci, who's supposed to be one of your leaders and your veterans, who knows, who has played Montreal before, knows sometimes they dive, knows how they get Bruins get hammered with calls up there in Montreal. You can't do that, Krejci. You can't. And granted, I will give him credit. He made up for it after the game and said that he cost the Bruins the game, which I respect. But still, you got you got to be smarter than that. You're playing against Montreal. Tukaras didn't play. He was supposed to be one of your leaders. And now Krejci's taking terrible penalties. Two of your le- of your so-called leaders cost you the game again in Montreal. That was probably the most frustrating game to watch too, just to see because you know that you were so close to finally ending it and getting over that hump. And. If there's anything, anything that we can take from that game, it's the fact that Montreal is beatable. Yeah, the Bru- um, Montreal is beatable. I, I, I say that the Bruins handed Montreal the game. I don't think Montreal won that game. Boston handed it to him on a silver player. I said, here, Montreal, you can have it. Yeah, they did. Great. We played too hard for three periods. We're going to go in with 10 minutes left, and we're just going to hand it to him. That's how I feel about that game. Yeah, that was just a tough loss to swallow. But the Bruins had no time to sulk because the next night they were traveling to Brooklyn to play the Islanders. The Bruins traveled to... New York before and played the Islanders and they got a win. So obviously the Bruins were hoping to do the same thing. And this was a great gutsy win by the Bruins coming off a terrible loss against Montreal. They found a way to get the job done against the Islanders and get two points, which you thought, of course, Tuka plays this game, plays well because <laughs> because because you know what, Tuka, there's no pressure when you're playing against the New York Islanders because it doesn't matter. People care about the Montreal game, but of course you play well against the Islanders. Thanks a lot, pal. Yeah, and I'm thinking the same thing very, very quietly. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tuka. So you're going to play against the Islanders, but Montreal, nah. And I guarantee you that you'll see Gustafson in that again when Montreal comes back. But the Bruins as a team, besides Tuka Rask, played a good game against the Islanders. Uh, the 5-on-3 goal that Spooner scored, that was Spooner, right? Yes, it was Spooner. 
Yeah, and that and that shows you how good that that team does does on the power play, especially with the five on three taking advantage, and they take advantage of most of them. Yeah, they do. They take advantage of their power play. We already have in the power play before. I'm not gonna get into it again. The power play has been incredible. Obviously, it's good to see Spooner score a goal because usually Spooner is the one passing the puck around. But I'm just so f- I'm I'm sorry. This two grass thing is really bothering me. Of course, you played against the Islanders, and granted, the Islanders are, are were a playoff team last year. But do you really think that people the the Bruins fans and media care about Tuka Rask having a solid game against the Islanders. If he put up a solid, no. if he put up a solid game the night before against the Canadians, doesn't that just go so much further into? Oh wow, Tuka Rask has guts. He's a competitor. Now everyone looks at him and just goes, "What are you doing? You're a loser." I think Tuka Rask is boring now. To be completely honest, like there's nothing that you can say to me that's going to change my mind about Tuka because he didn't play against Montreal and he's willing not to. We didn't care. And it shows you that when Tuka Rask is in the net against Montreal, the Bruins team has no heart. They have no desire because they don't have the leadership from that goaltender that is supposed to have helping them. Yeah, he's not a leader in my mind. But the Bruins did come up with a victory 2-1. to one. He did play well. He did stop a lot of pucks. And it was a game the Bruins needed to win because obviously they didn't want to lose two straight. They, were, they already lost to Washington. You didn't want to go 0-3 on the road trip. So it was a good win for the Bruins to sneak one out. It showed a lot of character. In the third period, the Bruins penalty kill played a lot better than they have in the past. They killed off a decent amount of penalties because the Bruins were facing penalty trouble in the third period. So that was great to see the Bruins sneak one out until the Bruins. Although they did give up a five on three with Johnny Boychuk scoring. No, they did. And obviously, five on three goals are five on threes are tough to defend, as you saw the Bruins score a five on three goal earlier. But the, for the most part, the Bruins did play a good penalty kill penalty kill game. How satisfying must it be for Johnny? For Johnny Boyshuk to score that goal against us, so he's probably thinking to himself, "Yeah, worst trade ever." Nah, <laughs> Johnny Boyshuk's probably not thinking about that right now. He's he likes where he is in the Islanders. Granted that he obviously wanted to be in Boston. I think I think he let bygones be bygones and kind of let it go. But so yeah, the Bruins got a nice victory there. You're thinking, "Oh, great, you have a couple days off to rest, and they'll come out against the Avalanche, guns blazing," which they did. They came out great against the Avalanche, two nothing early on in the game. First six minutes, Spooner scores, and who got the other goal? Chara. Chara scores. So you're going, oh, great, 2 nothing. The Bruins are playing well on home ice for once because, you know what, they suck at home ice because they've only won one game at home. And what do you know? The Bruins give up a two-goal lead. How many times have we been over this now? What do you know? A lot. Let's what do you know? Hunting. I'm not even surprised. I'm not even surprised anymore. Every time the like, – the Bruins were up to nothing in the first period, the first six minutes in. Before the period was even over, it was two two. Before the yeah, period was over. Yeah, with Kyle with uh, who scoring against us? Which former Bruins scored oh, against us? Soderberg. Carl Soderberg. Again, getting the assess. But Kyle Soderberg, he, you know what? He played a good game. I'm, I'm not. I don't normally compliment the other team players, but he played a good game that game. Yeah, Soderberg played a really good game, but I'm just so baffled how. Like, the Bruins had a two-goal lead, and they blew it again in the first period. They were 14, six, six minutes in, so there was 14 minutes left in the period, and the Bruins are up 2 nothing. And 14 minutes later, it's 2-2? Two to two? That's inexcusable. Come on, Claude Julien. You usually, when you get a two-goal lead, you go, huh, this game's over. Awesome, the Bruins have a two-goal lead. Because Claude Julien was a, a good defensive coach. So once you were like, okay, two-goal leads, Bruins got this game. I was bu- I I was busy, so I had to record the game and watch it later. I had you texting me updates of the game after the first period, so I I watched the second and third period, and I'm just like, come on, Bruins! You had a two goal lead, and then 
I feel like the Avalanche just kind of took it to him in the second and third period. You know what? The Avalanche played with, played with more energy. And, you know, I was I heard this crazy stuff. But the Bruins haven't beaten Colorado at home since, like, 1996. And you would think they would do that. Colorado's not a great team. They're not doing well this year. Granted, they have skilled players. Like, obviously, Duchenne scored the, the third goal on a terrible turnover by Kevin Miller. And Kevin Miller's been playing absolutely horrible this year. So, obviously, they... they Avalanche have skill. They have Duchesne. They have McKinnon. They have, we said, Soderberg, who's obviously skilled in the Gimla. But they're not doing well this year. They don't have a good defenseman. They don't have a good goalie. As we saw in the first six minutes, everyone scored two goals. They, that goalie was beatable. And they just, like, how do you not beat Colorado at home? When you've been struggling at home, you've had four days off. That should be a game you you have to win. Red O'Bear is an average at best goaltender, but he played he played his game against Boston after those final two periods. Um, just, it's awful with the two-goal lead, so this team can't hold on to a lead period, and this is the reason this team is playing 500 hockey. And that's exactly what I thought the Bruins would be this year. I thought they would be average at best, and they're just proving my theory correctly at the moment. I know, and it just sucks because the Bruins have had, like you said, two-goal lead after two-goal lead. Early on this year against Tampa Bay, they had a two-goal lead. They blew that and lost. They had a two-goal lead against Philly. They lost in overtime. Two-goal lead Thursday night against Colorado. Below that, it's like the Bruins have left. One goal lead against one goal lead against Montreal. Below that, they, every time they have a lead, it's like okay, well, it's only a matter of time before the other team scores, ties it up, or even takes the lead. It's just it just sucks because the Bruins have left so many wins out there, and they would be so much better than 500 if they could just close out these games. And that's just frustrating because the Bruins should be better than that. They should be. They, even though, they, like you said, we predicted them not to be as great as they were the previous years, they still have Chara, they still have Seidenberg, they still have Krejci, Marchand, Bergeron. They still have all these players that have been here before and know how to play the game and play with the lead. It's just frustrating. You know, the saying goes that the team, it takes a team until about Thanksgiving to figure out where they're going to stand towards the rest of the season. If you're not in the playoff structure on Thanksgiving, the chances are you're probably not going to make it. And right now... The Bruins have two weeks to get in that playoff structure before you really see which direction the team's going to head. And the, one more thing that I want to talk about this game that really pissed me off, too, was seeing Landeskog throw that cheap hit at Marshan when Marshan was shooting the puck. And where the hell was anyone on the ice on the Bruins to stick up for Marshan there? What is that BS? Landeskog no. takes a run at Marshan, almost el- elbowed him in the head, and he got suspended two games for it because Landeskog's known to be that type of dirty player he is. And granted, Marshawn's had no, has no slouch, and he's been accustomed to maybe a dirty play here and there. But where is the, where's the passion? Someone should have been up, sticking up for Marshawn right there. Gloves should have been off, and someone should have been beating the crap out of Landeskog. It doesn't matter if you're getting the instigator. Tyler Randall took an instigator penalty earlier in that game for a hit on Seidenberg. So where was the sticking up for Marshawn? I know. I'm, ba- um, I'm baffled that no one stuck up for him. No one. There was no one that did that. Not one player. Granted, granted that you players aren't supposed to leave the bench, otherwise they'll get suspended. I get that part of it. But where was anybody on the ice that could have stuck up for him? That's what I'm saying. No one on the ice stuck up for him. Marshawn had to go over there and punch him himself afterwards because no one stuck up for him. And granted, Marshawn... And I think, I think that it was pointless for the NHL to find Marshawn because I don't think Marshawn was wrong to punch him. No, I mean... It I, was a cheap hit. I get it. It was a cheap hit, and I get it, but the, the Marshawn should have been fine for that. You can't just walk over to someone and sucker punch them without asking them to drop the gloves. I'm more upset that... No one stuck up for Marshan. That's in, that's BS. You don't see that type of hit. That was the type of hit that ended Mark Savard's career, who had a concussion because Matt Cook blindsided him like that, and no one stuck up for him. No, and exa- exactly. I really can't argue too much into the, the fact that 
you know, you you get the reminder of Matt Cook's hit on Savard, and you know, you're right. The team should have been sticking it for Martian, and yet Martian had to stick up for himself, and that makes you wonder what the what the uh, team thinks of Martian. Yeah, I'm just frustrated by that. But another another two goal lead blown by the Bruins, another loss for the Bruins. So, and the schedule is not getting any easier. We'll talk about that later on. And the Bruins need to find their legs there. They need to find the way they're playing every time. But I'm sick. Obviously, the last thing I'm going to say about this is I'm sick of the Bruins coming out in the first period, playing well, looking like, oh, wow, this team's ready to go tonight. And then after the first period, shut it down, don't care about it anymore, and lose the game. Let me add in one more thing. They're a pathetic home record. Oh, my God. Pathetic. 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 One win. One win at home. One win. That's it. Oh, I heard, I heard the stat Thursday night before. You know the Bruins are have the they only have three points at home because they got an overtime loss against Florida. You know who's the one team that doesn't have the one team? You mean you mean Philly? Yes, Philly. Yes, Philly. Sorry, what did I say? Florida. Oh yeah, Philly. That's what I meant, Philly. So yes, yeah, so that was the they have three points at home. The only team that has less points at home than the Bruins are the Columbus Blue Jackets, who already fight. They just suck in general. Yeah, who already fired their coach. So that's where the Bruins stand right now at home ice. Pitiful. The Toronto Maple Leafs are doing better than the Bruins at home ice. Let's not go there. <laughs> oh, man. I, let's not go there. I know. Seriously, we should not go there. But Nope. Uh, there's a lot to get to in this around the NHL segment, Jason. I'm pretty excited to get to this. So that's what we're going to go switch gears to now is go around the NHL. And this past week or so, there's been a huge, huge debate about Bigger nets, shrinking goalie equipment. What should the NHL do about more goal scoring? They want to get more fans involved, and goal scoring has been down this year compared to the previous years. And the NHL wants more goal scoring. So what should they do? Bigger nets, shrinking goalie equipment. There's been a big talk about that. And I feel like the big thing about this is that a lot of people do not want bigger nets. The bigger nets would be bad for the game, people say. It would increase the size of the crease. So obviously the bigger nets feels like that's – Secondary compared to the shrinking goalie equipment. And the shrinking of goalie equipment has been getting great steam here. There's been heated debates. A lot of people coming out and speaking their mind about this. I don't know if people saw this, but Ray Ferraro stated the other day on TSN that Ryan Miller weighs 170 pounds. Carey Price weighs 220. That's 50 pounds more than Ryan Miller. And Ryan Miller looks pretty much the same size as Carey Price in net. And if people obviously see... 50 pounds between players, that's just big significance of weight. You shouldn't be looking the same on the ice as a guy that weighs 220. And obviously, Ryan Miller gets a little sensitive about it, complains about it, and says how, oh, well, I wear the same size equipment because I'm lengthy and I'm long. And I get it. You're, you're a big guy. You're probably 6'3", something like that. You're in the six feet. But you're, you're, the size of your, your equipment is, is enormous. I, I sent you right before the show when we were doing the pre-show the pre-show stuff, getting ready, getting ready for the show about how Boucher had that video, and did you see the picture of Ryan Miller compared to him and goalie coming than him off the ice? Yeah, I know they're huge. These goaltenders are huge. It's you, you know what, and I've been paying attention to all of this. You know the shrinking of the goalie equipment and shrinking the size of the bars on the nets, which I actually like that idea. You know, shrinking the size of the bars a bit, shrinking the goalie equipment rather than changing the size of the actual net. Yeah, and if you look at a goalie from the 1990s even, which isn't that long ago, 15 years, the goalie equipment is significantly smaller. Significantly. It's it's craziness how much 
goaltenders are catered to now. And I get it. The goaltenders want to be safe and the people and the NHL players shoot hard now. But we're not talking about taking away the safety of the goaltenders equipment. We're talking about just shrinking it a bit. Goalies are massive. All the goalies now are pretty much 6'2 and or bigger because all they can do now is just they go down in a butterfly and there's nothing to shoot at. There's no net. You have to have like a perfect shot to beat them. Let's go back even further to the size of the goaltenders in the 80s and how many goals are being scored in the 80s. Yeah, I know. It's it's just like I don't – now all the NHL goalies now, Ben Bishop, he's not that good of a goaltender. He's 6'8". All he does is go down in a butterfly and you can barely see the net. It's Exactly, because the goaltenders are just that size where they can go down in the butterfly, stack the pads, and nobody's going to score. That's why I love and Tim that's Thomas. Why that, and that's why that needs to change. Right, that's why I love Tim Thomas. He was 5'11", if that, out there sprawling around, diving around, competing for pucks. That's what I feel like goalie should be like. Not just staying in a net and just going down and having, okay, well, try and beat me because you can't because I'm too big. I'm in the net and you can't see any holes. Mike, do you listen to Felgren Raz at all? Yeah, I, I, I tune in every now and then. Okay. They were talking about this as well, and Felgren made a good point, although people don't like it. They need to shrink the size of the goaltender's pads, and they need to make these goaltenders start skating more and actually start start moving around rather than just sitting in front of the net and going to the butterfly. I, I, I agree. like, I agree with that completely. Although many people don't, but I think that these goaltenders need to stop being lazy and really need to start moving like they used to. Yeah, and of course our good friend Tuka Rask obviously had to weigh in on this subject. Hey Tuka, what do you think? Oh well, uh, I guess it's okay if you don't mind goaltenders letting five goals a game now. Come on, Tuka. Where's the... You're already like he's already like in five goals a game. I know. Why does that matter? Yeah, like you're the first three games. You're the last one to talk. No kidding. And uh, where's your competitiveness? Like, where's your competitiveness? Like, you should be like, yeah, I don't care if they want to do that, they can do that. It's okay. I'm gonna be. A... What? Because what? Because you took the Bruins to the Stanley Cup against the Blackhawks and lost. You think you can talk? Yeah, and what? Yeah, you have a ring, but you got that ring because of Thomas. What? Yeah, you think you can just be like, yeah, no, no problem. I was letting five goals. It'll be casual now. No, it won't be, because you know what? Goaltenders should be, okay, you want to lower my equipment? That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll adjust. I'll get better, and I'll do whatever it takes to get the, my team a win. But, of course, Tukaraz takes the high road. Sounds like a little baby again. He, there's no comp- See, of course, I'm making $8 million, so whatever. There is <laughs> whatever. There is no competitive fire in Tukaraz. And I was- you, know, you, know, you know, it's when you give the players this money, they just become complacent. They don't care. You wonder where the Bruins got that attitude from. I think I found out where they got that attitude from. Tukaraz. The leader. Your, your number one goaltender who you play $8 million for, and he has no competitive bone in his body. Embarrassing. But it also, and I want to get to Jonathan Quick was all for it, though. The, you know, LA Kings goalie who actually when it helped the Kings win two Stanley Cups. I like Jonathan Quick. Uh, as a goaltender, he's very competitive, and I got a lot of respect for him. Me too. So. I love Jonathan Quick, and I think he's one of the better goalies in the NHL. And you know what? He's not that big of a guy. He's not. He's small. But you know what? He's out there, and he competes his ass off. And that's something that I want Tukaraz to do. But if now Tukaraz is just wearing. I just, I can't get Tukaraz out of my head today because I, I'm just so frustrated by him. Oh, man. And you, and you just kind of kind of have to wonder one of these. I'm not going to go there. I'm, well, keep going. Yeah, so obviously Jonathan Quick's for it because you know what? He's a competitor, and he will do whatever it takes to help the Kings win the Stanley Cup. No matter what, they, they could probably tell him that he has to play with one shin pad, and he'll be out there playing with one shin pad. And obviously, Brian Boucher, I touched on this earlier. He made a great point. He was a former goaltender. He's on TSN now. And he said that when the forwards come down, 
on the goalie. There's nothing to shoot at. And I did catch Cam, Cam Neely's interview with Felger and Maz that you talked about Felger and Maz earlier. I always have to tune in to Cam Neely's interview just in case he says something. And obviously, I talk, I talk about the Bruins. So I need to chime in and see what Cam Neely says. And he was like, they talked about how when Cam Neely was playing in the early 90s, how he would come down and at the tops of the circles take a slap shot. And that was a scoring opportunity that I could go in. Now, if you have a forward coming down that takes a slap shot from the tops of the circles with no one in front of the goaltender. There is no way that shot goes in. There's no way. They're too big now. No, and exactly. And with the size of the goaltenders now, changes really need to be made. They do. They need to be made. And, you know, whether it's this year or next year, they need to be made soon. Absolutely. And if you have a chance to look up that Brian Boucher video with goalie equipment and just look at the size of these goalies compared to what they look like off the ice compared to what they look like on the ice. It's it's mind-blowing. I actually listened to that video before the show. It's mind-blowing. You get to see the comparisons of Ryan Miller with, with with equipment on and without. So that's really where the NHL is going. I think it's a great discussion. And I think by the end of this year, early next year, goaltender equipment will shrink. There's going to be no way. And I think goaltenders are going to get fined or suspended if they don't sure up their equipment. I agree. You know, and I think it's time for them to really start making these changes. If the NHL wants scoring, then they need to make the changes. They need to make these goaltenders start playing. Yes, yeah, that's true. It's a good point. And um, obviously early on now, another changing, changing gears here to another segment around the NHL is there's been a lot of trade speculation for November. And granted, you always hear about names and they're like, okay, it's not really that big of a name. But there are some significant names being talked about and being shopped around in early November, middle of November here. And I'm just mind blown. Patrick Marlowe came out of nowhere for the San Jose Sharks and stated that he would waive his no trade clause for three teams. One team being the Anaheim Ducks, the second team being the Los Angeles Kings, and the third team being the New York Rangers. Okay, and I'm, I'll speak and on that I, too. I get it because this was smart strategy. I think it was just smart strategy by Marlowe to say that. The Ducks, the Rangers, and Kings from his no trade his whole career. So he has to say where he wants to go. And for him to say Ducks, he's move on his part. The Sharks, Ducks, Ducks, and the Kings. You think? That their GM is gonna be like, hey Patrick, you wanna go to the Sharks? I mean, you wanna go to the Ducks or the Kings? They're not gonna trade him there. It's like the Bruins trading like Chara to Montreal. It's not gonna happen. Won't happen. Marlo was very smart by saying, okay, well, you want if you trade me, I wanna go to the Rangers. That's pretty much what he's saying. He wants to go to New York. And I don't well, blame him for it. When you think about it, when you think about it, with the career that Marlo has had in San Jose. And he, the fact that his team hasn't won, and I don't really blame Marlowe for that as much as I blame Thornton. You almost have to respect the fact that maybe he's getting to that point where he's ready to end his career and he wants to end his career maybe in Ray Bork style. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I respect the hell out of him for that. I'm just saying I, I think it was smart for him to say, I want to go to the Rangers. Because the, they're not going to trade with the Ducks and the Kings. They're not going to do it. So him saying, okay, I want to go with the Rangers, smart. It was kind of like what St. Louis did when he was with Tampa. He said, I'll accept the trade to the Rangers, and that's it. So, but there were also reports from TSN that said that Marlowe would have to open up his teams more than three because doing a trade with those three teams will be difficult. So it'll be interesting to see if Marlowe opens up the idea of maybe entertaining more teams. But that was smart on his part to say the Rangers and the Ducks and Kings. And I want to transition here to Matt Duchesne. And I was uh, just browsing around the internet and I was like, Matt Duchesne trade. 
so I clicked on the video. I was listening to it, Bob McKenzie from TSN, Darren Jagger. They do a great job up there at TSN, giving all the hockey news. And they were saying that forward Matt Duchesne from the Colorado Avalanche is being shopped around. The GM of Colorado is calling other teams saying, oh, hey, like, what would you trade for Duchesne? Duchesne, obviously, the Bruins talking the other night, scored the game-winning goal. He has great skill. He was one of the top picks of the draft a couple of years ago. He's a great player. And they're saying that Ottawa is the team to look out for, for Matt Duchesne, because Ottawa needs a number one center. They've been looking for centers for so long. So that's another interesting name, already being big name, being rumored in November. No, and you know what? I think that Colorado will be making a mistake trading him with the team that they have, you know, because they can develop as a team. But going to Ottawa, you know, it would make Ottawa certainly a lot better. Um, Ottawa was a playoff team last year, so it would definitely get him over a bit of a hump with that trade. But it's interesting what to see, you know, what Colorado wants in return. Yeah, though obviously there's been no speculation of what Colorado would want. I'm assuming it would be a lot because Matthew Shannon's obviously a great player. Shannon's also a former first-round pick. I'm yeah, he's a, he's a top five pick. He's picking the top five of the draft. And he's just a great player. And obviously, Colorado is struggling. They only have a piece on Colorado was McKinnon. McKinnon was the number one pick over here. Yeah, like you said, Colorado does have an opportunity to grow with Duchesne, with Landeskog, and with McKinnon. But if they can get a big haul for Matt Duchesne, I don't see why Colorado wouldn't do it. This, this team's not getting it done right now. It's second year in the row. They're in the bottom half of the Western Conference. They might need to shake things up. No, you know what? It would be a smart move because that Western Conference is a tough conference. And that's the reason you've seen the Western Conference win most of the last five years of the Stanley Cups. Yeah, the Western Conference is a gauntlet. And then speaking of highly skilled young forwards that could be on the move, there's been reports that Ryan Johansson of the Columbus Blue Jackets is being talked about, being traded. Ryan Johansson is the number one center for the Blue Jackets. He's been... He's only 23 years old. He's really skilled. And John Tortorello, I heard that, does not like his fitness. Obviously, the Blue Jackets have been horrible this year. They're last in the Eastern Conference, I think. Or they're second last, depending on where Toronto is. And that's a big that's a big player that could be on the move for Columbus. I thought John Hansen was their best player. He's the number one center. And if he gets traded, it really shows the direction that Columbus will go. After being in the playoffs two years ago to now being at the bottom of the barrel. It's just mind-blowing to me because they had all these young players growing up together, kind of like Colorado. Them and Colorado are eerily similar, where a couple years ago they're in the playoffs to go, oh, wow, they're young forwards, like, good, they should be good for a few years, and then, boom, they the map, and they couldn't put it together. And that's interesting as well because you have to look at Ryan Johansson, and I could have sworn his name came up last year in trade talks too. His name's been coming up constantly. It came up during the trade deadline last year. I mean, do you remember that last year? Yeah, a little bit, but now I feel like it's more significant. They have a lot more weight to it now. Yeah, and so if they trade Johansson, they're clearly looking to really rebuild this team again. Yeah, they'll definitely be looking to a rebuild. And then, obviously, we talked about we talked about Ottawa with, with Duchenne earlier, and uh, Bob McKenzie reported that Ottawa is looking to trade a defenseman. Obviously, with the exception of Eric Carlson, they said that Eric Carlson is the only defenseman that they would not trade. So we could keep an eye up there about, around the NHL news about Ottawa. And so that's the trade news that people are talking about now. So that's obviously a lot of big names there. Duchesne, Marlowe, Johansson, and then Ottawa looking to trade a defenseman. 
So it's a lot of early activity going on in November. So I want to change gears here to yeah. Uh, let's not let's not change gears. Yeah, I'm right now looking at the Ottawa roster to see who they have for defensemen. Okay, yeah, I heard uh, Wearcock's name was being shipped around. Uh, they obviously Eric Carlson's a mainstay. He's the only defenseman that Bob McKenzie said that Ottawa would absolutely not trade, which I agree with. Carlson's very skilled, very young player. They Ottawa wants him for years to come. But they they have uh, you said Weirkosh. They have Jared Cowan, Mark Mathot. Mark Mathot used to be on Columbus. Um, Cody CC, Chris Weidman. Okay, they have some players that are definitely tradable, but they're not big names. The only other big name besides Carlson is Patrick Weirkosh, who would be a good trade. Yes, and also he's Paul McKenzie said keep an eye on Chicago. I forgot to mention this before, so it's good that you stopped me there. Chicago has Duncan Keith and Michael Roosevelt close to a return, so Chicago will have. Their hands full of deciding on what to do. It's a good thing obviously won't trade Trevor Van Reams, the like brother of James Van Reams, keep. So it'll be interesting to see if Chicago makes a small minor move as well. Uh, also, did you see Washington by any chance, Jason? Do you see that? Yes, I did. The Ovechkin 15 shot game. What? Is this guy, is this guy kidding me? 15 shots? That's in, that's incredible. No, it is. You know, Ovechkin's really he's he I said we said this last week. We specifically discussed Ovechkin last week in our comparisons with him and Sidney Crosby and how much I liked Ovechkin over Sidney Crosby. That still stands. This Capitals team runs on Ovechkin and Ovechkin, you know, with the stats that he's putting up, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Fifteen shots. You never see people get fifteen shots in a game. So, obviously, incredible job by Ovechkin. Ovechkin's really leading the Capitals this year. The Capitals are playing really well. So, good for, good for Ovechkin. 15-shot game. I just thought it was a fun thing to throw in there to talk about quickly because that's hard. That's very rare. You never see that really ever in an NHL game. You're lucky if people if teams get 15 shots a period, never mind 15 shots in one game for one player. No, it's, it's insane that you see one player get 15 shots for sure. And the last thing I want to... Talk about here in the on the NHL news is obviously the World Cup of Hockey is making its return next year before the season in 2016. There are eight teams, obviously USA is one of them, but the difference is that is USA, there's Canada, and there's Team North America, and Team North America is players of age 23 and younger, and obviously that is significant for a player like Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is obviously a rookie this year in the NHL. He's a young player. He's not over the age of 23. And the NHL is... And the um, American people have been contacting World Cup officials saying, hey, can we take Eichel for Team USA? Can we take Eichel for Team USA? The World Cup of Hockey has said no. He has to play for Team North America if he makes the team. I doesn't, it doesn't seem like Eichel will be on the actual USA team. I just thought that was interesting to keep an eye on that. USA is pushing for Eichel. And I think they're going to keep trying keep trying until eventually the World Cup of Hockey just says, finally, stop asking me. It's not going to happen. No, and I agree. You know, I think that the World Cup of Hockey is smart saying no to them for Team USA. That they're keeping true to the structure the structure that they set, keeping the young kids on Team North America. And that will be a fun – it's going to be fun to watch at World Cup of Hockey. Yeah, it's going to be great to watch. And I think having the young players on the same team will be great because you get McDavid, Eichel, Larkin, Domi – I think this is, that's just great for the game. You want all the young players to play together. You'd be like, okay, here we go. Here come the young guns. This is the future of the game. Let's watch these players play together. 
And what a great way to enter another hockey season. Just, you know, World Cup of Hockey, go straight forward into another hockey season. Oh, that's going to be incredible. That's going to be great. It's going to be great seeing the it's going to be great seeing the build up for that for that season. Yes. I'm really excited about that. Yes, that would be great to watch and very excited about that as well, but um so now we're going to hit our last segment here as we do every week. We look ahead to the Bruins games for the week. Uh obviously the Bruins right now are playing 500 hockey as you stated, and they look to get back on track tonight, Saturday night against the Detroit Red Wings. Yes, let me uh, let me get started on that one. The Detroit Red Wings, who just got uh, Pavel Datsyuk back. Yes, they did. He played last night. They actually the, he played last night. That's right. Last so night. you're talking about a young Red Wings team getting back one of their best veteran players, working with Henrik Zetterberg. And I'm telling you right now, for making a prediction, the Bruins are going to lose this game too. You think so? Yes. I mean, I th- I think Datsyuk being back, obviously, he's a big. It's a significant piece that the Detroit has. Datsuk is incredible. He's one of the best forwards to watch in the NHL. But I think he's a little bit rusty. He's kind of like Seidenberg. He's coming back from surgery. It's going to take him some time to get back. <coughs> Excuse me there. But I just think the Bruins will come out and win this game. Detroit played last night. They lost last night to the Sharks. The Bruins need this game. They need it. They cannot lose this game tonight. They can't. There's no way they can. They need it, but the Bruins' stats against the Red Wings aren't really that good, even over the last few years. The Bruins struggle against this team. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins... Although, I'll keep in mind that Mike Babcock was a coach and he's no longer the coach. So yeah, Mike Babcock was the coach anymore. Detroit's really been kind of struggling a little bit this year. Kind of like the Bruins. They've been having good games, having bad games, not really knowing what to expect. So I think this is the game the Bruins can sneak by. I think you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Bruins to win this game too. I know last week I was like the Bruins are beating Montreal, but you know what? The Bruins are beating Detroit tonight, Jason. They are beating Detroit. Going with that. They're beating Detroit. I'm saying they're not, so we'll keep we'll keep stats on this. Yep, but then they uh, obviously continue on their on their road. I mean on their homestand. I should say not their road trip. The San Jose Sharks come to town on Tuesday. Joey Thornton coming back to Boston. Martin Jones, the goaltender that the Bruins traded to San Jose, will probably will hopefully be making his uh, debut in Boston. The Bruins fans can see, okay, here, there's Martin Jones, the goaltender we traded. And um, I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Obviously, the Sharks have some great talent with Pavelski. Obviously, Thornton's lost a step or two, but he's still perennial, perennial passer. He knows how to put the puck in the net when he gets the opportunity. So and that's going to hey, be a tough question. Game. What's do you that? remember? Do you do you remember when the Bruins played San Jose two years ago? The score of that game and how that game ended. Man, I do not. I do not recall. I was at that game. They they won that game with what point six oh, seconds left. Oh yes, I was at that game as well. David Krejci scored when Joe Thornton missed the coverage. Yes, what a game that was. That was a good, and, um, that was a great game. And the Bruins have been known to play those those quiet defensive games against San Jose. And if there's a game that the Bruins are gonna win. I'm going to say they're going to win this one. Yeah, I think they should beat the Sharks, too. The Sharks, obviously, they're traveling from the West Coast. I haven't looked up the Sharks' schedule before that, but I'm assuming they're on the East Coast. I have the Sharks sitting right here. Uh, we don't want to forget that they have Martin Jones in that, and Martin Jones was one of the key cogs yes, in the Milan Lucic trade, who the Bruins later took the trade to San Jose for a first-round pick. Yeah, I mentioned that. That's why you want San Jose to be awful this year. So San Jose is awful, we get a top-10 pick. Yes, I mentioned the Martin Jones trade, so thanks for your radio reiterating the first-round pick because the Bruins do have San Jose's first-round pick. And what better way to stop them from getting two points than the Bruins beating them themselves, trying to lower them in the standings. So that's a that's another game the Bruins could win. San Jose's struggling now. They started off really hot, but they're not playing as well as late. So the first two games on this homestand, on the 
continuing on this homestand this week with Detroit and San Jose, are two winnable games for the Bruins. They're winnable, for sure. Yes, um, that's, that's what I'm saying, winnable. But, you know, I, I still don't think Boston's going to beat Detroit based on recent history. And, I, that's, and that's how I make my picks is recent history. And the last game of the week before, before that next episode will be Minnesota on Thursday. Minnesota's playing really well. They're in a tough division with an essential, which we talked about earlier on in the Bruins Beat podcast episodes. Minnesota's a wagon. They have a great team up and down their roster. I was looking up stats yesterday. Who are the two leading scorers on Minnesota? Is it um, it's Zach Parise, no? One, yes, that's one of them. Is it Miko Koivu? No, Thomas Vanek. Oh, wow, Vanek. Bruins killer. He kills the Bruins. 7-7. Seven, seven. They both have seven goals. He kills the Bruins. Yep. He's a, Thomas Vanek, the Bruins killer. When he was with Buffalo, he killed the Bruins. Oh, my God. You could have... Every time that Vanek was on the Buffalo, you would see, okay, here, here's Thomas Vanek. He's probably going to light the Bruins up. And he usually and did. One, and one thing we don't want to forget is that Minnesota also has Massachusetts native uh, Charlie Coyle. Yes, Charlie Coyle is a good player. I think Minnesota is a great team up and down the lineup. They have a good goalie in Devin Dubinick. They re-signed him in the offseason. Minnesota is a playoff team. They've been going to the semifinals in the Western Conference for the past couple of years now. I think the Bruins are going to lose this game. Thursday night against Minnesota is the game the Bruins. They have Ryan Suter on D, and, you know, they've struggled against Minnesota in the past. And this is a game that I see them losing, although if they can go on a winning streak over the start of this week, they could probably carry that momentum. And if they play hard and they start changing the way they play, they could win this game. But I'm going to say the Bruins go again, and, you know, I was right last week, so I don't want to be right again. But I'm going to say the Bruins go 1-2 this week. All right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 2-1. I think the Minnesota game will be tough. And the Bruins and hope the Bruins should beat Detroit and San Jose. The Minnesota game, they, like you said, they could win, but it'll be interesting to see if they could actually pull it off. <laughs> Excuse me there. So yeah, so a good week ahead. The Bruins have a three-game homestand, which kind of sucks. I wish there was a three-game road trip since they don't know how to play at home ice for some reason. And also, while we're saying that this homestand that the Bruins are on is good, it's an actual five-game homestand. It's it's going to be their longest homestand of the season. Yeah, so you should hopefully get these wins in when you can, Bruins, on home ice, you know, and not only have one win on the year at home. Well, we'll save that, I guess, for next week. Hopefully we're not still talking about the Bruins only having one home win because if that's the case, I may lose my mind. Oh, God, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. I just want to see how this week plays out before I even go there. Yeah, so this should be a good week ahead. Uh, so that wraps up our episode this week of Bruins Beat. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Bruins underscore Beat. Like us on Facebook, you can follow myself on Twitter at MikeSetta22, and you can follow Jason at JasonBuckley91, correct? Correct. Also, um, we would love for you to try to find us on iTunes and like us and rate us and give us your opinions of the show. Also, um, I am in the process of trying to figure out a few things when it comes to learning. I want to try to set, to set up an email address for our listeners to be able to send us emails on how to improve the show, and I want to also be able to read emails on the show when it comes to listeners. Uh, that's all going to be a work in progress, but those are the ideas I have. Yes, absolutely. Right. And if you have any, and just send us emails if you have any questions about the Bruins that you want us to get to, or if you just want to make your point too. Obviously, the, you're more than welcome to rant with us on the Bruins beat. I will read your rants. Jason will read your rants as well. Obviously, we went off on two grass today. So feel free. Send us some questions. Feel free to email us some, some rants of your own and what you think of the Bruins team so far this year and what you think of for next week. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? To end this show, I'm going to quote Jack Edwards. Who has more fun than us? No one. That too. All right, Jason. I'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.